Hey everybody, it's your host, Hampton Dorch. My guest today is awesome. We're about to have a deep conversation, one of those that you would have at a coffee shop. And speaking of coffee shops, this podcast is sponsored by O'Henry's Coffee. If you're in Birmingham, make sure to check them out. If you're not, check them out online. Let's hop in. We all love a great movie, especially the ones that end the way that we feel like they're supposed to. My guest today and I were talking about some of those movies that just don't end right and it just it doesn't feel quite right and i think we're gonna have a bit of an explanation for for really what that is and so my guest today wrote a book on this i'm gonna put the link below you must read it but i'll waste no more time bob wheatley welcome to the show man hampton what's going on my man looking forward to this (laughs) yeah this has been awesome so i told bob when i met him today that i feel like i know him because i've listened to like hours of him share his story and why he wrote his book over the last like 24 hours or so. But I recognize that you all might not know him yet. Um, So I definitely want to talk about your book and and everything right there. But I also think that your story could be very impactful, especially to who I believe to be most of our listeners who, who could very well be in their twenties that maybe some of us have not had. And I don't want to give away some of your story, but kind of that wake up moment of maybe when you're 24, 25, baseball, all of that. But so, I, I mean, it, it, wherever you want to start, I'd love to hear some of your story about baseball, protein bars, relationships, all of that, if you want to hop in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a good, good intro, good segue. Uh, I, I grew up in California, moved to Nashville about five years ago, but grew up in California and I was always an athlete. So I was a baseball player, football player, always loved sports. That was the world that I was around. Fortunately, I was able to go to my dream school, USC, on a baseball scholarship, played there for four years, and then I ended up signing professionally. So I played for two years for the Toronto Blue Jays, played for a year in a spring training with the St. Louis Cardinals, and then finished my baseball career in independent professional baseball. But I was far from a prospect. I was a a 26-round draft pick. I was number 774 overall. So you might think like, oh, professional baseball player. It's like, no, I I was not a dude. I was not a guy. I was just kind of a body. The Blue Jays paid me $1,000 and gave me a plane ticket. So I hadn't expected to get drafted, frankly. Once they offered that to me, I was like, done. Uh, I'm in. Just tell me where to go. Flew to Florida and my professional career began. But as far as this this journey, how the book came about, how my my faith, my walk with God really transformed. Grew up in Southern California, grew up in the church. I went to a Christian middle school, Christian high school. So I thought I had that box checked, so to say, just because I was around it all the time. I mean, I, I was praying before dinner. I was praying before bed. First period of the day, every day was Christian learning. So I'm kind of like this air quote Christian. And it wasn't until I was 25 and frankly, I had all of these disappointing things happen. The baseball career ended, the business I was running was going under, the three-year relationship ended abruptly and in an ugly way. And this all happened like within a month. This is like summer of 17. So it was like, boom, boom, boom. This entire future that I had dreamed of, or at least envisioned, was gone. And so I became very available (laughs) almost immediately. And that's when I think I truly became a Christian because again, you can, you can know 
if you're a Christian based off of your obedience. You can know if others are Christians based off of their obedience. And you might naturally think like, oh, well, you're not supposed to judge this, that, and the other. Jesus also says, you'll know them by their fruit. Like, tr trust what you see. If somebody is continuing to disobey God in a bunch of different areas, probably not a Christian. I mean, definitely not a Christian. They, they can't continue to do that and have the Holy Spirit in them. So for me, that, that point where things changed was, was when I was 25. And so even in the areas where God's word became inconvenient for me, maybe, the high school version, college version of me would just kind of, you know, ah, I don't like that verse. I'm just going to gloss over it, pretend it's not there. I stopped doing that once I gave my life over to him. It's like, okay, well, this is, this is black and white scripture. What am I going to do with it? So, and now I fast forward five years and I've moved 2000 miles and started a new life and I'm surrounded by believers and I'm writing books about him. Like it's just been a, it's been a crazy, crazy road and it's not what I would have planned at all. So, I mean, hmm. Jesus does say, consider yeah. the cost, you know, I, I think that's one reason why some people will choose to not give their life over to him because that future that you're thinking of the baseball dreams, the business, the girl, whatever it looks like in your life, it looks so good. It's like, oh, what happens if I give my life over to him and he doesn't give me those things? That's the hang up. And, you know, my life isn't over hopefully far from it, but my life is totally different and frankly better because I gave my life over. So it's kind of, it's unnecessarily scary. <laughs> You're like, oh man, what if, what if I get hosed in giving my life over to God? It's like, wh what are you talking about, man? You're worried, you're worried that your master, your creator, will somehow do you wrong. The one who knows everything is somehow going to miss a detail. Like, give me a break. You'll be fine. Trust him. So mm. that's what I did five years ago. And it's been literally life-changing. Amen. And I love the word available that you use. We talk a lot about that at church, having an available heart. And to some extent, it's, you didn't just say, I'm going to be available one day. It was actually, no, you, you, uh, lost your relationship. Your, your business wasn't going well. And then you got cut from baseball. And so I think sometimes it's like really hard things happen and people view this different ways. And I know that you talk about this in your book, but I think we can view that as God's kindness to get us to really wake up and see, Hey, you're, you're missing the point. <laughs> um, which, which I feel like you, you did that, but, um, I definitely want to talk about that point here for a little bit, but I do want to rewind just real quick because it's a big deal that you played professional baseball. And I know you weren't a dude, as you say, but still, I mean, that's a big deal. And I heard you talk on another show about it doesn't sound like you threw 100 miles an hour, but you did have a few competitive advantages, um, whether it was like hard work or mindset. I don't know what it was, but I kind of wanted to hear you talk about like what what made you good at baseball, even though maybe you weren't the most talented person. Yeah. I mean, if I threw a hundred miles an hour, we might not be talking right now. I might still have a job. <laughs> my, my 87 to 90 wasn't really wowing the scouts. Uh, 
but yeah, I think, I think what that did is it forced me to be just more intentional with my time because like I said, I was a 26 round draft pick, you know, senior sign paid me a thousand dollars. I was far from this prospect and yet I wanted to, I wanted to do well. I had these, these big league aspirations. And so if you're going against people that are definitively better than you, how do you compete? And what I ended up doing is I was a, I was a starter in high school and my second two years in college, but then professionally I came out of the bullpen and I wasn't like the closer Mariano Rivera. Like I was, uh, all right, you know, here's Bob in the sixth inning, get him in, get out. Like, Oh, we, you know, we dodged a bullet. So in order for me to compete with literally these world-class athletes, I, I mean, I was charting every pitch. Like I, I still have my notebooks where, you know, as a reliever, you don't know when you're going to come in the game, but that also means, okay, I can watch the team that we're playing even before it's, it's my time really. So if I came in that sixth inning, I had two previous at bats or six previous at bats. If it was the, you know, the second game of the series, things like that to know, like, all right, what if I'm facing Hampton, like what are his tendencies? Does he swing first pitch? Will he chase a curveball? Is he trying to go opposite field or is he just trying to crank home runs? Like, who is this guy? So I was very intentional with that because I needed it. I couldn't just roll out the bats and balls. Hey, guys, here's 100. Good luck. I was coming in with 88. <laughs> so I had to, yeah, I had to, I'd engage my mind in, in, that, mm. in that battle. Yeah, it wasn't just talent. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I wanted you to talk about that because I think as I've read uh, the two books behind me, Grit and Mindset, they both talk about how our world is obsessed with natural talent. We, we think that anyone that's made it um, is like, oh, they, they just, they're super talented. And part of that is potentially because we like, we want to act like they just kind of lucked into something like that instead of working really hard. And like, you're, you're the you weren't out talenting people. You were working really hard. And so I just think to our listeners here, let, let's try to not like obsess so much over that natural talent. Most of us don't have that. And, you know, it was helpful that you're over six feet tall and left-handed, but then you, you studied super hard and, and it helped you out a lot. So I know that you, you ended up stopping baseball. You've also shared a little bit about how you had a business. You quit doing that. You then were not in a relationship anymore abruptly. And so that's like, bam, 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 right there. And I know you briefly shared that you moved to Nashville. It sounds like that was a, a very pivotal life moment for you. So what, what started happening, you know, five or so years ago in your life? Yeah, it, it definitely was a pivotal point. And as far as what started happening, I, I started surrendering. I started listening. So I went from the, like, it was kind of who, who had I been born or bred to be? I was this American athlete. Like those are two things that are totally against the, the kingdom thinking mindset. Like the American, what is it? The, the American dream, first one in, first one out, like, you know, you got to get this hustle culture and stuff like that. And then the athlete that that's even, that's even amplified where you just, it's the American dream with testosterone. Like it, it gets even worse. So you asked what happened or what I started doing. I just started praying, listening, 
surrendering. I never dreamed of living in Nashville. I never been to Nashville. <laughs> I, when you grow up in Southern California, I don't know if you've met anybody that grew up there, or you know, maybe they disagree, but for the most part, when you grow up in SoCal, grow up in Orange County, it's like it's sunny in 75 and you're born in the promised land. Like, why would I ever leave? And yet I felt like God was telling me to come to Nashville. And now as I look back, everything makes sense, but you, tomorrow can be scary. It's like, God, how, how can you ask this of me? How can you possibly ask me to do that tomorrow? And I just, I said, yes, in my brokenness, in my availability, I said, yes, because I didn't have any other alternatives. Like I had tried my way. It wasn't working. <laughs> so I was fortunately available. Then I moved to Nashville. I was working in finance for a little bit as a financial advisor. And now I work in personal branding for a company called Brand Builders Group, which is just like, again, I'd never, if you looked at my journals or high school projects or artwork as a four-year-old, it never said he wants to live in Nashville and write books about God. <laughs> you won't find that. It's not there. Yet here I am. And I didn't know those things about myself. Like I find more fulfillment in doing that than baseball ever brought me. And so if I bring it back to the book, the, the title, Our Heart's Desire, but then the subtitle, How Our Stories Reveal the Thing We Want Most, that subtitle is kind of twofold in that, Hampton, you know, I've, I've basically told the Bible, I've told the gospel through stories, through The Dark Knight, The Hunger Games, Saving Private Ryan, just all these movies that we grew up watching, how our stories reveal the thing we want most. But then the other part of that is the stories that we tell ourselves. So if the stories that I was saying sounded something like, if I could only get to the big leagues, then I would dot, dot, dot you know, in, insert lie here. I would be respected. I would be adored. I would be able to connect with my father on a deeper level, like what, whatever it is. And I have a great relationship with my dad. Uh, but like, that was something that really mattered to me. It's like, I, I want an even better relationship with my dad. If I could just give him that phone call, like, Hey dad, I need you to book a flight to Cleveland. I, I made it to the show. Like these are stories that I was saying to myself that I will not have that connection with my father. I will not have the respect from my friends. I will not, I will not be a man unless I get to the big leagues until I get to the big leagues. Like what terrible stories, but what revealing stories, those things were revealing what I wanted most. And so it was personal gain. It was in a sense, what I really wanted was uh, the correct thing in the wrong way. I want love. I want companionship. I want to be accepted. I want to be, I, I want all the things that God has planned for us. The big leagues are not God. <laughs> so it's like we, we get so close and yet so far. So yeah, as far as the it's important for us to pay attention to the stories that we're hearing. No doubt. Mm. 
Yeah, there, there's the there's the two parts. There's the stories that you talk a lot about in your book, but then the stories that we tell ourselves. Love that you said insert lie, because it's pretty much always a lie. And if we're honest with ourselves, how many times did we actually get that? If I could just get X, the girl, the job, the whatever, and then immediately you probably don't even celebrate that for more than a day, and then you're on to the next thing. I mean, I, that that just seems so common. Um, and so getting into what our hearts really desire, I mean, can you talk just a little bit about the book and some of the different stories you tell in there? Yeah. Like I said, it, it was a really fun project for me to write because I was just talking about the movies that I grew up watching. And I, I quote three plus dozen stories, most of them movies, but you also have novels, songs, Broadway plays, things like that. And what I believe and what I write in the book is we have this specific story, this specific narrative that's written on the human heart. And that's why it keeps showing up again. So that story is the hero, the villain, the love interest to be saved. You start in paradise. That paradise is quickly undone. Page 10, minute 10, whatever it is, beginning of the story. And then the rest of the story we're just trying to restore that paradise. That's how a story works. Hero, villain, love interest, paradise lost, paradise restored. Okay. When you have that story over and over and over again, the reason is not because it streams well or it puts butts in seats, it's because it's written on the human heart. That's why you can have stories like The Matrix or Avatar or Star Wars or whatever, just these endless iterations of the same story and yet humans don't get tired of it. Like surely we should be tired of the hero, the villain, the love interest to be saved, start in paradise end in paradise, but we're not. Why is that? And so as I started my writing journey, I was studying stories like how to create characters, how to build worlds, stuff like that. And I was also reading the Bible. I have a mentor here in Nashville and, he and I have read the Bible cover to cover every year since I've been here. So 2023 will be the sixth year in a row that I've read the Bible cover to cover. And that doesn't mean I'm, I'm an expert. Like I'm not a pastor who's shepherding a church. I, I'm not a theologian that teaches at a seminary, but on a macro level, I know the story of scripture. And I think God makes it that way. Like Jesus talks about it all the time. Like God, you have given this story uh, thank you for giving this story to the babes and not those who find themselves to be wise. Like the gospel, the macro story is not a difficult story to understand. It's this world is fallen. You're a sinner. Yet we have a savior. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And so, again, if we just translate it into Hollywood, you see all these stories where, yes, they've removed God out of it because they're, you know, you don't love God until you love God, but it's the same story. And so that was just really revolutionary mm -hmm. for me, both as a Bible reader and frankly, as a movie goer. It's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I know why I like The Matrix. It's not because I like Kung Fu. It's because I'm a human. I have a desire that's written on my heart to see the hero win, to see evil punished, to see paradise restored. Everything you get in The Matrix or the million other versions of it. So as a story guy, 
it's been really fun for me to do this project because I think God wants us to relish in stories and in this one specifically. Mm, I, I think he does too. And I feel like this could be so helpful for people that, um, love movies and like, don't really understand why, or maybe they're not really walking with God or there's certain things that they don't understand about him. But like, it's so crazy to think that people that would say that they, they hate God. It's like, they still write these stories and these movies that have that same theme. Was it catharsis? Is that the three different, three different parts of a story? Yeah. So as far as catharsis, there's three components needed in order to have that. And I'll just kind of back up like, what is catharsis? Catharsis is the yeah. goal of any dramatic story where an author, a screenwriter sits down, they are trying to deliver catharsis. And I know you and I were talking off screen. You've recently watched a movie and it just didn't bring that. It kind of fell flat as like, oh, what a bummer. Like I wouldn't have had it end that way. What you're describing like that, that gap or that, that down, like that downfall that you feel you didn't get catharsis. That's what it was. And so the three components to that, you have a desire, you have to want something. There has to be a delay because obviously if you want that something and you get it on page one, that's a really short book. So desire delay, and then that delivery, like it has to actually show up. So when you're watching that movie and it doesn't deliver what you were looking for, of course, that's the movie that you never watch again. But the reason is you, you didn't have that catharsis. You didn't have that moment of like, I'm sure you've had it where you're, you know, you, you go to a movie theater, you're walking to your car and it's like, you're kind of floating. It's like, that was nuts. That was amazing. <laughs> like that happened to me. The most obvious example for me is I watched interstellar. My jaw was mm. on the floor as I was watching that. And I walked out of there as like, what just happened to me? That was amazing. What an amazing experience. And so that's, that's what I believe we're chasing here on earth. We're chasing that catharsis in that going back to the title of my book, our heart's desire. What is that desire? What is the desire to begin that catharsis? It's the story. We started in Eden. We started in paradise and we clearly are not there now. That's a problem for the human heart. So we have this desire that is unmet. We're sitting in that delay. And it's been thousands of years on an individual level. It's been decades. It's like, yeah, no matter what I do, no matter how many awesome meals I have or how many jet skis I ride, somehow I'm still lacking. We're sitting in that delay because we're not made for this world. This world is fallen. This world is not as it should be. We're in the middle of the book. And then ultimately we have that delivery. That's when we have that moment of catharsis. And the things that the Bible says about heaven are, are exactly that. It's, I mean, it's above and beyond what we want. Paul says that the mind of man has not conceived what God has waiting for us in heaven. Like, think about that. You could sit down and ponder really hard. Like, I wonder how great heaven is and still fall short. That's pretty cool. The mind of man has not conceived. There's a lot of smart people out there. <laughs> There's a lot of creative people out there, like far, far smarter than I am. The mind of man has not conceived 
what God has waiting. So that is that master catharsis. And the good news is like with my interstellar, it might've lasted 24 hours or something, you know, you're kind of riding high or it's the family vacation. Like, wow, this is amazing. We're in paradise. You always leave. Like you have the return flight home, right? You spend seven days in paradise and it's back to reality. Our reality will be that paradise forever unending. Mm. The mind of man is not conceived. So yeah, there, there's reason to hope for sure. And of course we can enjoy amazing things, you know, in, in this life, no doubt. Everybody loves a good jet ski, but <laughs> like, it's not, it's not the ultimate, right? That that's where mm. our hope should be. And so it's when we get that, when we get that off, when we forget what our role in the story is, when we forget about the story as a whole, and we're just kind of stuck in this rat race or, you know, to use a movie parallel, when we're like stuck in the matrix, we don't realize what real life is. And yet the mm. Bible tells us what, where, where we should have our hope. Mm. Yeah. Hope, hope in the delivery. And I love that you said your, your jaws on the floor after interstellar, but like in heaven, your, your jaw will, will be on the floor for forever. Like that feeling that you right. have, or, or maybe that's why we binge a Netflix series because you know, we want to see you, you're sitting in that delay for the majority of time. It's like the desire at the beginning, but then delay for a long period of time. And then the delivery at the end. And it's almost, it's that amazing feeling of like, yes. But then you're like, like I finished a, my wife and I don't do this a lot, but we did like binge a show recently and I finished it. And it was like five minutes later, I'm, I'm already ah, like, that yeah. was good. But, but what's next? Where's that next delivery? And I think the good news is like we can trust in what is to come through the promises of God. But for those of us that are Christians right now, would you say that there's ways to to glimpse that or feel that delivery here right now, even though we're still in the delay? Oh, 100%. I think whether it's through stories or even just look at all the blessings in your life, like something as simple as a hot meal, like what an amazing thing. Like we, we've all been hungry and sat down for that meal. And then you have that very brief, you know, half hour of catharsis. Like this is heaven. This is awesome. Those are, those are glimpses. Those are whispers of the ultimate fulfillment that you'll have. And those are hand delivered from God. Like it's, it says in scripture that your time here on this world, uh, on this earth, even though you will have trouble, Nobody's denying that God also gives you things to enjoy. God gives you the relationships. God gives you children. God gives you money. God gives you whatever to enjoy. It's like, what, what is sin? It is a perversion of a good thing. So we don't need to, you know, we don't need to over amplify what that, what that sin is. We need to clarify what that is. God has given a bunch of good things, even this planet, good thing. This planet has been perverted. This planet has mm. been tainted. And so, yeah, it's, it's that it's a delicate balance of knowing, okay, Lord, you've, you've given me this meal. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am, I am literally starving. I am hungry and you've met my need. Thank you. Something as small as that, 
can connect you with the father and also can cause you to look forward to Lord. I know I'll be hungry again. I'm so looking forward to the day when I won't hunger. I won't thirst. There won't be a delay to my catharsis. It will be unending. Mm. And what's interesting is whether it's meals or movies or vacations or whatever, we have never known a desire that's been fulfilled that has lasted. You talked about it a mm. couple of minutes ago. We're always chasing the next thing. You finish the series and it's like, oh, but I'm hungry. Like a new need presents itself. In, he in heaven, it'll be totally new for us to, to be fulfilled all the time. Like we, we literally don't, we, we don't have a precedent for that. We've never known that. So what an amazing thing to look forward to. I'm ready for it now. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's what we're all chasing now, but we'll have it when God says that it's time. Mm. Wow. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm fired up right now. I mean, I just love thinking about this and then even the challenge of next time you do see that movie, know what it is that you're feeling and what you're seeing, and then even find a way to praise God yourself, or maybe you're watching the movie with somebody else and, and actually reflect and say, Oh, wow, that's such a beautiful picture of, of how much God loves us or whatever it is. And, I, I've always had, and I can't wait to start adding to it because now I know what it is. I've had a playlist on my phone, Bob, called Not Worship, Worship. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Of like a song that I, I'm like, I don't think that was in, necessarily intended, but I I can see God's hand like on this, um, which I think is super cool. And I, I have a hundred other questions to ask you, but I know we're out of time today. I'm going to have to have you back again. But before we, we hop off, I want you to share, like, I know this book, I feel like it could benefit everyone, but who is this book really for? Yeah, I, I wrote this book for, of course, it will certainly help if you're a story lover. I think that's probably obvious, but I wrote it for the person who maybe didn't grow up in the church, or maybe you're somehow like estranged from the church where you want to know God, but you're not just dying to crack open the King James Bible. I wrote this book where, you know, through the dark night, the hunger Games, saving private Ryan, you can connect with the God that your heart is seeking. And so whether that's you personally, like I've had devout Christians say, yeah, I'm connecting with God in a brand new way. It's also for the neighbor, the coworker, the cousin who isn't quite there. Who's kind of, you know, a baby believer or maybe they're not a believer at all, but you know that they have a soft heart, you're not gonna start with the King James. You might start with the Matrix. <laughs> you might start with a story, it's like, <laughs> hey, you know, I've always wanted to have this conversation with you. I want you to know Jesus. Here's, here's a very easy way to understand what he's done for you. So I'm finding that a lot of people are gifting the book. And of course, I, I'd love for, you know, you individually to read it, but I wrote it as an evangelism tool where, hey, you know, in a, a quick, easy read, your cousin, coworker, neighbor can hear the gospel in a way that they can consume it. Mm, that's amazing. Uh, well, I'm super excited to read it myself and share it with a lot of other people. 
Um, guys, I will put, I will put Bob's everything down below. You, I mean, Instagram, Amazon, website, TikTok, all of it. Yeah. So y'all got, y'all got to look this guy up. It's time for you and me to wake up and leave.